I just looked at the, that screen there and I thought I better tell you, you know, that's obviously uh, many of you that follow me on social media know that that's my brother, right? And I went straight into scripts without talking about this. So this event was originally um, scheduled um, for about, Susan, was, one of these, was this one of the events that we cancelled as well? Yes. It was, okay. So I cancelled like about 20 events. So in a nutshell, here's what happened. Um, um, my brother got sick. Had a stomach ache. He thought he had food poisoning. Everything was fine. Never really been sick. 44 years of age. 48 hours later, he was diagnosed to have stomach cancer, incurable, inoperable. Um, about 10 months later, which was August 14, uh, he passed away. I made the decision the last six weeks that I would just drop everything. I wasn't going to do any conference speaking. I would just work on the real estate gym and be around. So I pretty much moved into hospital and I moved into palliative care. Ironically, palliative care is about one or two, one or two minutes from here. Um, I'm obviously devastated. I mean, I can sit here and say to you, you know, like, you know, um, you got to not, you know, focus on the problem. You've got to move forward. You've got to be strong. But sometimes uh, words are words. But how do you fucking do that? How do you do it, particularly when the fact that apart from being a blood brother, he was, in fact, um, the closest person in my life. He hadn't got married. So we never sort of drifted apart where he had his family and I had mine. So in many ways, like people turn around, that guy's like a brother. He was in fact the friend and the brother that was like a brother. I'm devastated. And the truth is probably what I'm going through is they call grief. Um, how do I cope? Working my ass off. Is it a Band-Aid solution? Maybe, but I'm new at this and this is how I'm coping. Probably one of the saddest things that happened was the last day. The last day, when he passed away on the Tuesday, um, what happened was the doctor came in and they do need to officially know that the person's dead. It's part of a legal process. And I knew he had died because I just saw him. The doctor came in and he said, uh, take your time but I need to do two checks to confirm. So really nice young, young doctor. I said, let's do what you've got to do. And he goes over and feels for pulse rate and he confirms, yep. And he said, look, um, for the, uh, stay here as much as you want, stay in the room with him. And, um, when you're ready, just uh, pack the stuff, take what you need and we'll clean up the rest. And a uh, nurse came in and brought in some pl pink plastic bags. And I started packing stuff. <coughs> While I was at palliative care, I spent hours and hours there. I used to work 
I used to go into the public area. My brother used to sort of doze in and out of sleep and consciousness. And I would go to the public area. The public area was a foyer that had a plasma screen, good Wi-Fi, books, fridge, and people just used to hang out there. It didn't feel like a hospital, it just felt like a cafe. There was two kids, about 10 and 12 years of age, a brother and sister, and they'd be there in the afternoons with their school uniform. And when I'd be doing a webinar or doing a coaching session or having a phone conference, they'd always be arguing. And, um, you know, I tolerated it and tolerated it and I used to just, you know, like you'd be talking to someone and people would say, I can't hear you, there's noise in the background. I'd say, kids, can you please be quiet? A couple of times I actually said to them, guys, just don't make so much noise, right? Like one day you'd put up with it, but two weeks of it, right? Anyway, something strange happens to people in their last 48 hours. I don't know if you know anyone that's lost someone. They uh, love to eat ice. They just chunk, eat ice. They crush ice. Hands up if anyone's had someone and gone through that. Few people. They love ice. They just crunch on ice, which was quite bizarre because my brother hadn't eaten or drank for three and a half weeks. He went from 85 kilos to 45. And as soon as he said to me, ice, I said to him, what about ice blocks? He said, yes, ice blocks. So I thought, this is great. This is the first time he's going to actually put on some calories. So I rush to Coles on Majors Bay Road, Concord, and I buy all these ice blocks, boxes of them, different flavors. I wanted to make sure that he was going to get one that he loved and have lots of them. I take these ice blocks back and he did, he probably ate about seven of them, just, which was really great. In fact, I got some videos which I, I think I just showed uh, Greg, I showed you uh, having an ice block there. When I started packing stuff up, I had these four boxes of ice blocks. And um, I got all my brother's gear, put it in pink bags, and the ice blocks, I was just about to throw them in the bin. But as I was walking out, I saw the two kids there. And I said, hey, here, I'm not as bad as what you thought. Here's your present. <laughs> The boy looks up at me and he says, my father doesn't allow us to eat ice blocks. I said, that's okay. They didn't come from your father. <laughs> they came from your mother. And the girl looks up at me and says, how can they come from my mother? My mother hasn't spoken for three days. And I just stopped. And I thought, fuck, did I get this wrong? So in that 10 seconds, I realized that in fact, they were visiting their mother, not their grandmother. In those 10 seconds, I realized I'd made a really bad assumption.
these uh, kids that in my head called them brats and little pricks, in fact, were behaving like pretty good under the circumstances that their mother was in her final days at Concord Palliative Care Unit, Building 41. I share this story with you because I think that every day we make terrible assumptions. We make assumptions all the time. We make assumptions that a person that is shy is arrogant, but they're just shy. We make assumptions that a person that walks into a property that parks a shitbox car and wears, you know, a $10 Lowe's t-shirt is someone that has got no money and is going to do no business with you and is wasting your time, where we know many of the times these people actually own half the street. We make terrible assumptions all the time. So a golden rule that I have is never assume. Never assume. It's a golden rule. Never assume. I also share this story with you because um, I think that how can I, how can I actually tell people, be authentic, be real, be vulnerable, be you, if I'm not doing it myself? And the truth is, I'm letting you know, um, I'm, I'm absolutely in pain. The one thing that helps me cope and take something that's quite sad, many people would say tragic, and I make it bearable, is that I'm intelligent enough to know that I've been through enough shit in my life that my current situation is not my final destination. I'm intelligent enough to know, no matter how shit things are right now, that they will be better in three months' time. I also am smart enough to know that um, having an attitude of gratitude means that instead of me saying, I've been ripped off because I lose what I had with my brother and I lose what we could have had. Instead, having an attitude of gratitude says this, Tom, you got 44 years. What if he wasn't born? You would have had zero. Now, a lot of people don't think that because they think born, you know, is like, you know, just a right you have. It's not a right. Like, when you leave here, Google chances of being born. One in 400 trillion. Fucking odds are just incredible. Like, you already have hit it big time. You're a big time winner, right? But people forget that. Because people, what they focus on is what's actually wrong in their life and not what's right in their life. One of the biggest problems that I have when I'm coaching, so I coach about 10 people. All 10 are riding over 2 million bucks in GCI a year. We don't talk about listing presentations. We don't talk about vendor management. We don't talk about buyer qualifications because once you get to that level, you actually know what to do. I mean, like, I don't do that every day of my life. They do. They know what to do. What most high performers have a problem with is the following. They're fucking shit at managing business units. They think that all their staff have got mental telepathy. Um, they have really a big challenge with managing emotions. They're constantly overwhelmed, hey, Tanae. They're constantly overwhelmed. 
they have this stupid thing which is called the gap where they're constantly discontent on where they are now versus where they could be because they're always looking forward but many times they don't look back to where they came from and when you look back from where you come from you actually think to yourself fuck I've done okay I was pretty shit at school <laughs> and this story has ended up being reasonably well but what they seem to do is to be always focused at what they don't have so here's the deal if you're always striving 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 and never looking back and appreciating what you've got I'm telling you you're always going to be doing this striving 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 but never arriving I mean success is uh, is weird it's it's like telephone numbers it doesn't stop right think about everything in your life your car your first car your first car is generally a shitter car than your second car your second car is usually a shitter car than the third car so you keep upgrading upgrading but after the first two to three weeks of getting the new car you know for some reason in two three years you'll be getting another car again and uh, always striving 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 but never arriving